On episode 37 of DevTalk, I speak to Clifford Aegis about building an IoT-enabled prosthetic arm. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Clifford Aegis. Clifford is an airline pilot in his day job and a Xamarin developer at night, and I'm really happy to have him on the show. Hello, Clifford. Hello, Kerry. How are you? I'm very good, and I hear you are in a hotel room, which is very unusual, and you're not even at home. No, I'm not. I'm in, uh, I'm in the US at the moment, in, uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. So are you actually flying people around still, or are you flying things around? Uh, things, yeah, cargo at the moment. So uh, I flew across to, uh, to Dallas yesterday. I've stayed here in the hotel for 24 hours, and I fly back tonight. I uh, get home back to the UK at midday tomorrow. Okay, I, I imagine it's... Uh... Are the airports empty? The hotels empty? Is everything kind of very unusual right now? Yeah, very, very unusual. I was in the, uh, the terminal building uh, yesterday at Heathrow, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I couldn't see. I walked into the building, couldn't see another human being in the whole terminal building. Uh, it was very, very, very odd. You know, I wondered if I'd walked into the building at three o'clock in the morning or something, I, there'd still be people on a normal day. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it was just odd. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not normal as we all know, but um, yeah, it's scary that what's going on with the industry. Yeah, I see there are still a lot of flights in the U.S. I mean, it hasn't decreased as much as Europe, is my impression. Were you in like an international terminal, and uh, domestic one was maybe busier? Uh, well, I was in the international terminal in uh, in London, and we arrived yesterday into uh, the international terminal here in Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a fair few flights kind of arriving and departing when we arrived uh, yesterday evening. But um, yeah, they a lot of them must be cargo cargo flights. There's a lot of uh, uh, American Airlines aircraft parked up um, on one of the uh, one of the uh, runways. They've, they've closed the runway and parked up aircraft uh, all over uh, the Dallas airport, uh, much the same as they've done around the rest of the world. Um, you go anywhere and they're just aircraft parked up at the side. Yeah, um, collect, collecting dust. It's not. Uh, it's not good. But uh, we need to stay safe. We need to stop this disease. Stay safe and uh, and hopefully come out the other side. Yeah, that it's. Uh, yeah, your your profession is is really impacted by this whole thing. And I I hope, I I don't see flights being back to hundred percent of what they were in the near future anytime soon. So, but I don't. No one knows what it's going to be like, right? No, nobody knows. I think the um, the, the scary bit is the fact that the, the longer this goes on, the longer people get used to using the, the zooms and the teams and the and the blue jeans uh, for doing you know kind of remote meetings. Yeah. So rather than jumping on a plane and flying to New York or or to to Germany or or to you know wherever around the world, uh, instead of wasting that time, they'll you know people will be used to now just jumping on a jumping on a, uh, a video chat and uh, and having a meeting over video chat because they've been doing it for so many weeks. Yeah, yeah. And that's a scary bit because it means that passion numbers may not come back. People are still going on holiday. There's people, you know, we're human beings. We want to go and see the wonders of the world. So I think it will change change aviation future for uh, for some time. Yeah. And and uh, it was it was on the steep increase, especially like uh, countries like China. And um, I... I I'm very curious to see how, how this will all turn out afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, all the big airline manufacturers, you know, Boeing and, and Airbus are, uh, are kind of looking at the future and seeing that 
airlines don't want planes anymore. And if they do, they want kind of, you know, fuel efficient small planes like the 787 and the A350. So, yeah, it's kind of concerning. Um, you know, big aircraft like the A380, are, are, you know, I, I think are, are not for this world uh, much longer because, yeah. yeah, airlines don't want them. But in case the airline industry does not come back to its full strength, you have another job that you are doing. Is that right? Yeah, I'm. Um, uh, uh, when I'm not flying planes, uh, I'm a freelance .NET developer, uh, and I kind of concentrate on Xamarin and uh, and IoT. Um, so from an early age, I've played with computers. I spent um, 11 years in the uh, automotive industry mm -hmm. as an engineer working on robotics and uh, machine tools um, in the car industry. And then, um, yeah, I, I took up flying and I've kind of gone back to it and work on kind of, you know, projects, um, the IoT stuff, because I did a lot of electrical and mechanical engineering. So I enjoy kind of uh, building and making things and then, the Xamarin because I, I quite enjoy working on mobile it's uh, it's a challenge it's different mm -hmm. um, it's not a it's not a normal kind of kind of crud application with a website and a bit of JavaScript it, it's a I find it a bit more challenging and more fun and did you come from like the c-sharp world into Xamarin or or directly there um, no I come into c I was you know did c-sharp and a lot of ASP um, kind of websites okay. and, and, and back-end stuff. And then I kind of, when Microsoft bought Xamarin and kind of opened it up uh, and made it free to use, I kind of looked at it instantly because I've been playing with things like Cordovia uh, and the likes, uh, and mm -hmm. it was okay, but it wasn't, I just could never get along with it. Um, and then I tried Xamarin and I was hooked instantly. Um, and, you know, I've been using it for the last few years now. Um, I made, a you know, a few silly apps at the beginning. I've done a few apps for... Uh, For, for work, uh, internal line of business apps um, for, for crew. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and I've worked on other projects for clients as well. So um, it's, you know, I've, it's, it's good. I mean, if you, if you know C Sharp and you, and you can do a UI in WPF or UWP, you'd you, you find it actually not that difficult to switch across to using Xamarin and making mobile apps. A little bit of a difference in tooling, um, but otherwise, um, you know, it wouldn't be too difficult to learn. Um, the switch across to using the Xamarin mobile app. And you prefer making apps that talk to things, right? I do. I find that uh, I find that good fun. Uh, I, I love playing with electronics and, uh, and making making uh, smoke generators um, every now and again. So when I mm -hmm. put the wrong voltage into the wrong port and it all goes poof. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I obviously try and avoid that as much as I can. But I, I enjoy making things that kind of move or do something or, or kind of log some data. Um, a lot of the projects I work on are kind of, you know, taking real world data and, uh, and stuff it up into the cloud, into Azure, AWS, and then a mobile app that can reason over that data and show it to the user uh, wherever they are on the planet. Um, they can look at the, the data in the cloud and see it and say, actually, you know what, I need to change that setting, change the setting, it updates it to the cloud, push it down to the IoT system um, that could be anywhere, um, you know, a farmer's field, for example, and it changes the way, you know, things happen in the real world um, and it's good fun you know it's it's you know using bluetooth wi-fi um some long-range radio signals uh on some projects um yeah it's good fun okay so you you've got a connection to a local device or what are the type of devices you're speaking to with your app um i tend to use a lot of devices from adafruit um just because they're they're fully mm -hmm. featured they're tested and they're relatively cheap um, and adafruit uh or a company out of new york 
um, Lady Ada uh, is uh, one of the people that run the company and, and mm-hmm. designed it. And they've got a um, one of the boards I use most is uh, their feather system. And it's the same footprint board, but at the one end of the board, you can have like a Bluetooth chip or you can have a Wi-Fi chip. Or you can have uh, an SD card chip or you can have a, a long range radio. So, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a radio chip on the end as well. You can have a GPS um, sensor there. All these different kind of communication methods or sensors can go on one end of the board. And the other end is the is the Feather M0 microprocessor, which you, you know, write code using, um, using Adafruit. Uh, sorry, the Arduino C um, language. Um, okay. So on the on the IoT side, it's all Arduino C, and then it all sends it up to the cloud in whatever format needs to be. Um, you know, I've done it by connecting it to um, to a three G uh, board, and it, it sends data up. You know, every ten minutes, it sends a burst of data up to the to the cloud over three G. Um, you know, using Adafruit, I've got this board called the Phona uh, F O N A. Um, and it sends the data uh, that way. And that was purely because, you know, there wasn't Wi-Fi or any way of getting, you know, the data in a farmer's field uh, up to the cloud. Mm-hmm. So we sent it via 3G. Um, I worked on another project where it was on a ship and uh, the, the, the boards were uh, at sea. Um, so once a day, they, they turned themselves on and they sent it via, I've forgotten the name of the board now, I think it Smart Blocks, I think it was called. No, Roblox. Uh-huh. Well, not Roblox is the, uh, the kids game, isn't it? Uh, I've forgotten the name of the board now, but it's sent you via satellite data. Make, uh, make block is kids. Uh, no, it's, I forgot what it's called okay. now. It's smart, <laughs> smart block or something. Or rock blocks it might have been, but it was a um, no. It's not that either. I can't remember. But it, <laughs> it sent it via satellite signal, and the bonus of that is it you got for free the GPS location of of where the signal was sent from. Um, as part of the API um, that you're connected to. It's quite expensive. Um, you know, for every byte, it's like kind of around 10 pence. Um, so yeah. you, you kind of got really interested in just setting a bit on within a byte to signal that this is the state of that part of the system, that's the state of that part of the system. Um, so you just kind of bit stuffing into into your uh, into your bytes to send. But, you know, to wake up the board, send the data, turn the board off again, go to sleep, and then 24 hours later, wake up again and send the data that need to be sent. Um, so yeah, and again, you know, um, there was a, an iPad app that went with that, um, written in Xamarin that allowed the the user uh, in the office to look at the data. Yeah, so it's connecting the real world with the cloud and a and a uh, you know a Xamarin app um, seems to be where yeah. I tend to spend most of my time working. I, I uh, it, it all sounds so familiar. The the on sea and satellite link. I I worked on a project that had those circumstances and we had a, a buoy on the ocean floor and then we had a wireless acoustic connection to a buoy on the on the ocean surface and from there it would send just like sms text messages yep. but via iridium they were like had a few more characters but they were also pretty expensive yeah th- this was 2000 and oh my goodness 2006, uh, after the the big tsunami, mm. and then we worked on on the the early warning system because and on the have on the ocean floor you have this this pressure sensor and if you have a really sudden increase in in water pressure, then that that's a pretty good indicator that there is uh, something something happening. Yeah, yeah. I've I've literally just googled while we chatting. It was rock blocks. Um, oh, okay. it, it's a rock block. They've, I've just noticed they've got a, a version two now, but we used the version one 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it uses the Iridium system just the same and same oh, data. Oh, okay. Is that, um, that's still a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's still a still a board. Um, it's moved on a little bit since I used it. What about three years ago? But um, yeah, two three years ago. It's uh, but yeah, even I mean even now the boards the boards are you know 160 pounds um, sterling, and then you know when you're sending um, the, the the data you 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 pre purchase credits, and then each credit is the amount of data you send. Um, you know how many bytes uh, you send. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it works worked flawlessly. Yeah, it was at sea for a couple of months on two ships and uh, worked flawlessly. Um, uh, for that one, we had a Raspberry Pi getting all the data and doing a load of uh, a load of work, um, and then we um, sent the data via the Rockblock system up to the cloud. And then there was a uh, some server side stuff that was reasoning over that data. And then, as I say, I, a year or so after we put this together, we put an iPad app um, that looked at the data as well, just to allow the the people to wander around dockside and things and they can look at the data and decide what they're going to do with it but uh yeah it was an interesting project nice yeah yeah and well when i was working with the technology this was before the iphone was released the iphone one and uh, we didn't do any connections to any smart devices or anything like that but uh, nowadays it's probably mostly bluetooth is that what you're using um yeah, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Um, okay. Bluetooth, Bluetooth is uh, is you know fairly simple and easy to use, um, or Wi-Fi. Because um, if you're using Wi-Fi, then it's just normal kind of uh, HTTP calls that you can use backs and forwards. Because um, mm-hmm. once you once the device is connected to the network, you know it's no different to your laptop being on the Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. It just sees it as a normal network. So if I could get away with Wi-Fi. Um, fantastic if not then we'll use bluetooth and as i say you know use 3g use um, satellite and also use radio link as well so um we have quite a few devices in the field and they all kind of did a mesh and shared the data around the field and the one that's closest to the building had the wi-fi on so the door kind of daisy chain back to the main um device and that was on the wi-fi mm-hmm. and then that would send it to the cloud um and that was just because you know it, it needed to work um you know with no connections and no cables, and it was a large area. Um, so yeah, that was that was an interesting project as well. I heard you were working on a prosthetic arm. What yeah, that that's about? that's um, that's been a um, that's been the side gig for the last few years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, friends, their son Caden, he's fifteen now. He's uh, was born uh, with no left arm, um, so he's mm-hmm. got a uh, he's got his left elbow and a very short stub. Um, yeah, uh, just beyond his left elbow, and um, yeah, he was born that way. And um, since birth, he's had kind of you know a plastic kind of forearm. Uh, and then when he was like, four or five years old, he got a claw on the end, uh, which is literally just as you'd imagine, like a, a pair of tweezers on the end of, uh, or, or kind of a, a heavy duty pair of tweezers on the end of his uh, end of his prosthetic arm. And the way he actions that kind of opening and closing of that claw is a cable. Um, literally a bit of fishing line, 100 pound fishing line goes up the arm across his shoulders, and on his uh, right shoulder is a, a pad that's velcroed to his shoulder. And as he moves the shoulder blade backwards and forwards, it opens and closes the claw. Um, huh. And that's that's what he's had um, for for many many years. Um, mm-hmm. And usually Caden is um, he uses it a lot, so he's become very dexterous and you know a, a very good user uh, to the point where you'd look at him and think, how is he managing to you know make a cup of tea, get a tea bag out of the 
the pot? How is he managing to um, to you know play uh, an Xbox using this hook uh, and 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 the mm-hmm. likes? Um, because he's used it since birth. But there's other children that you know may lose their arm. You know, it's quite common that uh, children lose uh, an arm or a leg um, due to diabetes or or meningitis. Uh, seems to be common uh, issues. Um, you know, or maybe it's an accident. You know, have a, 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 a you know horrendous accident and have to have a, yeah. a arm or a leg amputated, and then they get given a prosthetic, which is the same as what Caden gets. Uh, you know, a lump of plastic, which costs the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, four or five thousand pounds a time to make, and then a year mm-hmm. later they grow out of it and they need to have another one made. Um, so it's another four or five thousand pounds. So it's quite expensive. Uh, the hook on the end is you know a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds as well. So you're talking six to seven thousand pounds for you know a rudimentary kind of uh, prosthetic arm yeah you know if you then go to look at kind of high-end biomechanical things um you know with electronics inside they're you know that's part of a hundred thousand pounds they're they're not cheap items because they're you know built out of carbon fiber there's lots of engineering and and work that's gone into them so yeah it was back in december 2016 um there's a news article on the news in the uk um, about uh, a dad that had 3D printed a, uh, a prosthetic arm for his daughter. And uh, my kids go to uh, to school with Caden and I bumped into his mum at the school gate and uh, she's like, oh, Cliff, you've got uh, a 3D printer, haven't you? And I was like, yeah, I have, you know, can you help? I was like, well, okay, you know, let's, let's see what we can do. So I started Googling around and, and looking. I found the, the, the website and the news articles and, and started looking into it. But what they were doing was basically 3D printing the forearm uh, and a, a rudimentary hand at the end, but it still works on the same premise of, you know, a, a bit of fishing line that pulled the cables tight and it closed, you know, a hand of such. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't work that well. Um, so we printed it, gave it to Caden, and he was like, no, I prefer my hook. Um, I'm going back to my hook and what the NHS gave me. But I was hooked then. I was like, literally... <laughs> I was, I was like, well, I'm not letting this beat me. I'm going to come up with something. So a bit more looking around. There was, I stumbled across a project called, uh, at the time, uh, Open Hand Projects. Uh, it was openhand.org at the time. And um, looked at that. And uh, that was uh, a guy called Joel Gibbard uh, in the UK that was working on uh, biomechanical hands. Again, it's really printed, but it put motors and electronics inside. Um, they're pretty basic, the early versions. And then... Uh, and it was all on GitHub, all open source. It's still there now, if you go and look for it. Um, mm-hmm. And then they moved on and created uh, another group. Um, uh, the group got bigger and they created a, a company called Open Barnets. Uh, and they make you know amazing, fantastic devices. Um, quite expensive, but you know nowhere near the hundreds of thousands, but a bit more than what the NHS paid for uh, a hook and a, and a, a, a plastic arm. Um, but the and initially, it was all open source, as in the name, Open Bionix. It was all open source on GitHub. Um, then they started to go down the route of getting uh, certification from the, the health service in the UK, um, France, Germany, and the US. Um, and I can only imagine that as part of that process, they needed to to close source it. And they also wanted to iterate the design uh, and make it better. And the device they sell now is, is an amazing device, but it's not cheap. Uh, and mm-hmm. certainly, you know, Caden's parents couldn't afford to buy one. Uh, the NHS wouldn't fund it in the UK because, you know, it's like, why do we need to pay more than double what we're doing now? And we, Caden's got an arm. So why do we mm-hmm. need to do that? So 
I looked at it, I took the early designs and and started building and 3D printing Caden Nam. So we started out with just getting the hand working uh, with the motors, but we had those issues. There was things like the electronics that they used was in-house designed board. They called it the uh, the chestnut board. And that in-house design board was um, was difficult to get hold of because they only had uh, a, a few. They um, they got them made kind of in batches and they would only sell them. They had a store on their website at the time. They'd only sell them when they had enough spare uh, that they didn't need. Um, but they were yeah. quite expensive boards, you know, £250 plus VAT and postage. Um, so best part, £300 um, for, you know, uh, an Arduino board. And mm-hmm. whereas I could get an Arduino board that was used in my OT project for, you know, 15, 20, 30 pounds. It's like, well, why do I want to spend all this extra money um, on an Arduino board? So um, I couldn't get the open bionics board. So I swapped it out and used an Adafruit feather board, um, which is 20 pounds. Uh, and you could buy it from Amazon rather than having to wait many, many months for open bionics to ship me one. Um, I was on their waiting list for about three months. And I still never got a board. And they've now closed their store. So if I had gone that route uh, and Caden had damaged the board in whatever way, he couldn't get replacement. Whereas now the Adafruit board, um, I was I gave a talk at NDC London uh, last year, and um, you know two days before the talk, I was just testing everything was working. I accidentally plugged the uh, the, the battery in while the USB was plugged in uh, for power and destroyed mm-hmm. the board. Um, oh. It was just a silly mistake. I got back from a flight. And I was tired, but I wanted to check everything was working. And, um, yeah, I just made a, a, a silly error and blew the board apart. Um, just, you know, made smoke and uh, I wasn't happy. But I ordered the part on Amazon. Postman delivered it the next day, Amazon Prime, uh, and saved, you know, saved the talk, basically. Um, I've now changed the design such that if I do make the same silly mistake, it won't burn the board out. Um, you know, I've, I've edited that, uh, that floor out now. Um but, you know, so changing out and using different boards, um, the sensors that Open Bionics used uh, were myoware muscle sensors, and they sense the uh, the muscle tension. Um, and you need to stick them with um, the sticky pads, like you, if you have an ECG or um, uh, an EEG, um, yeah. you get little sticky pads that stick on, you know, and then when you take them off, it pulls your skin and your hair and everything else. But you needed three of those per sensor, but you need two sensors um, to sense the two muscles in your arm. Um, which meant that six sticky pads per day and, you know, a bag of 50 is only five pounds from the, the, the local supplier, but that meant that it's now an ongoing cost. And it was like, yeah. well, I'm not keen on that either. So I started looking around for different sensors. Um, and the way uh, we, we control the hands is um, if, you know, if your listeners kind of put their left arm up and put their right hand just above their, uh, just above their left elbow, and if they was to flex their hands away from their face um, uh, to do a flat palm towards the sky, they feel the, the muscle at the back of their their, um, their forearm go tight. They now mm-hmm. flex so uh, the back of the hand is pointing towards the sky. They'll feel the, the muscle at the front of the arm going tight. Now, if they put their hands straight up and clench it, they'll feel both muscles go tight, the one at the front and the one at the back. So if we put a muscle sensor at the back and a muscle sensor at the front, yeah, and we could sense when the muscle goes tight, we can open the grip close the grip and then when we clench our fist yeah we can change the next grip in the grip sequence and that's how we do control and the, these sensors are so he's missing the left arm and the sensors are on the right arm no the sensors are on his left arm on his left arm also okay caden's got a a, a, a 
bit of a stump from his left elbow. Uh, yeah. it, it goes out about sort of four or five inches. Um, he's mm-hmm. still got muscle in, in that. His muscles okay. are 90, 90 degrees out to mine and yours. So where uh, me and you and anyone with a normal left arm would have our muscles kind of, you know, left and right, they go tight. Yeah. His are, are top and bottom. Um, but that's just because, mm-hmm. you know, that's how his body's developed. But if he didn't have that and, you know, and he's, um, he had no muscles there, we can move the muscles further up the arm um, onto, you know, the, the bicep or, or onto the shoulder maybe and do the sense in there. Um, and then, you know, the human body is quite impressive how it, it learns and adapts um, to what it needs to do um, over a period of time. You know, we could all learn a new school, be ride a bike, drive a car, fly an airplane. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you learn how to do it over a period of time. So, you know, he's adapted to, to learning to, you know, control the, the, the hands um, using these uh, muscle sensors. But, yeah. you know, the sensors, the MyWare sensors, as I say, you know, not just the sticky pads are expensive, but the boards were like £35 each. You need two of them, so that's £70. And you're sticking electronics onto the skin. And, you know, Caden's 15 now, but, you know, for a younger child, it'd be, you know, quite easy for those boards to get broken. Um, and, you know, you're pulling them off and sticking them on every day. You know, they're, they're going to break. Um, you know, they're not really designed for being kind of used the way that we're intending to use them. So um, mm-hmm. I tried some different sensors, many, many different sensors, and eventually stumbled across um, a, a, a sensor um, that is basically a, a force-sensitive resistor. So the more force you apply to this um, plastic film, the, the, the uh, more it changes its resistance. You can then use that in a resistor bridge setup, uh, apply a voltage, and then that resistor bridge, as you apply bo- uh, pressure, will then give you a different uh, voltage out. You take that into the analog input on the um, on the Adafruit board. You can measure that voltage and then decide, set trigger levels, etc., um, in the code to decide, you know, is that uh, uh, just Caden moving around or is that Caden actually applying a force to sense that and trying to trigger a muscle um, cool. movement? So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how we, you know, we got around it and it seems to work really, really well. So, yeah, we had the, the, the hands working, we had the muscle working, and then we uh, basically took his, his prosthetic arm that he gets from the NHS and uh, we took a air-drying clay mould at the inside and then um, 3D designed um, a socket that fit Caden and uh, 3D printed that. And, um, you know, the, it wasn't the first second, but the third one that fitted perfect, the first one was too small the second one was too big and the third one was just right so a bit of uh, a bit of a goldilocks moment there um <laughs> and the the 3d print of that socket is is 80 pence worth of plastic and it takes about five hours to print um so as caden grows all we've done is just told the 3d printer print it again but one percent bigger than you did it last time and it prints it 80 pence worth of plastic and it fits and caden says it fits better than the one he gets from the hospital because they always make it too big as he grows, he grows into it, uh, yeah. and then it becomes a bit tight. And then by the time they made a new one, he, you know, it's a bit too tight to use. Uh, whereas now, you know, I can print a new one every four, five, six months, and he just wears it, and it's like getting a bit tight. Oh, you know, and I drop drop a new one at the school gate the next morning, and hmm. uh, there's no Very issues. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And there's other things like you know the open bonnets design. They use a um, for power. They use a big um, uh, uh, battery pack out of an RC car. Um, a radio control car, um, mm-hmm. and that's 14.7 volts. And then they step that down uh, with a small electronic um, uh, power control board uh, from Polaloo, 
um, down to 12 volts, which is what is supplies the motors because the little actuonic motors are, are 12 volt uh, DC motors. So they step that down, and, but the, the battery pack is quite heavy, and you've got to, you've got to carry that around all day. And not only that, you then need a special power supply to recharge the battery. And I, I don't know, it just grated on me. I, did, I wasn't too keen. So on a lot of projects, I use uh, anchor power bricks, just like you'd use to you know recharge your mobile phone um, or your tablet. Um, just yep. a 10,000 milliamp hour anchor power brick. Um, I had a few of those kicking around from a project that had just finished. And um, I thought to myself, well, it's five volts. So I can supply the 3.3 volts that I need for the, um, for the electronics, but I haven't got 12 volts. But Pololu makes step-up um, boards as well. So not only step down, but step up. So I bought mm-hmm. one that um, steps up from, from five volts to 12 volts. Um, now, it can only supply uh, 1.2 amps, um, the, the one that I got uh, that I can manage to fit in. Um, but the motors, driving all four motors, because there's four motors inside the hand, um, driving all four motors draws about 1.4 amps, but only for like a second, second and a half. Um, so the ball gets warm, but it doesn't overheat because obviously when they design it and they write the data sheet, they say that, oh, this is the maximum, but there's obviously a, a working level just above that. And because I'm yeah. only doing it for a few seconds rather than the whole time, um, which is how they've done their data sheet, so you know, like we can handle um, this current draw for an extended period of time. Because the motors only go for a few a second at most, the board is coping. And it's been in Caden's arm and in my test arm that I've got on on my bench at home for you know best part of a year now, and it's it's not failed me yet. So now I've got a, a, an anchor power brick, which is USB power supply, which means that if he's at school and the battery goes flat, he can you know plug it into the wall just like you would do a mobile phone. Um, downside is that his friends now ask him when their phone's gone flat, can I charge my phone up, please, Caden? <laughs> and he unplugs his arm and, and gives him a bit of juice to charge their phone up. But, um, you know, that's, you know, that's kids for you, isn't it? You know, they, they, they want the Twitters and the Instagrams and the, the TikToks and things like that, don't they? So, so that's kind of how we, you know, we've got the muscle sensors, we've got the motors inside the hands. Um, and then we've looked at the software that's, uh, that Open Bionics were using on their, on their board. Uh, they call it Beatroot. Um, their software um, mm-hmm. I managed to um, chop that about quite a bit to make it work on the Adafruit board um, rewrote some large sections of it and, and changed about uh, a fair few sections and it worked really well but the downside was that if Caden wanted to uh, the, use the grips uh, Open Bionics have five grips in their grip sequence so you've got a fist grip you've got a palm grip which is like um, just your fingers curl up, just like you're carrying um, the shopping home for mum. Um, you've mm-hmm. got a point, so it's it, you know your pointing is over there. Um, you've got a tripod grip, which is like um, the grip where you'd hold a pencil. Yeah. And then you've got the OK or pinch grip, which is just where the index finger meets the thumb, and that's just like the OK signal. So they're the five grips. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I said earlier that when you clench your fist or when Caden clenches his fist, that signals to go to the next grip and the grip signal. So he clenches his fist, he holds it for more than half a second, the, the sensors pick that up and the electronic cell is signaling to change the next grip in the grip sequence. So it clenches a fist, it will then go to the, the palm grip, clench it again, it goes to the point gesture, clench it again. But he has to remember where he is in that sequence. Yeah. And if he forgets or he misses, he's got to go all the way back around the loop to get to the one he wants to use, which mm-hmm. is not ideal. When he's at school, maybe he doesn't need the carrier bag grip because he's at school, he's not carrying the shopping for mum. When he's at home, maybe he wants a grip to play his Xbox, but he doesn't want that at school. Maybe he wants to have a, a, a different grip because he's, you know, he's very active in the scouts and he goes to the Jamboree every year. 
Um, he wants, I don't know, a grip where it helps him tie knots or something. I, you know, Caden's one child, the next child along the line may want a different grip. You know, maybe it's a, it, you know, someone who does something totally different. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a way to create the grips, but the, the grips are hard coded in the software. So for you or I that write software, we could look at this, this 3D array in written in C, Arduino C, and we could, you know, I could show you and, you know, within 10 minutes, you'd less than 10 minutes, you'd grasp it and you'd be able to work out how to do it. But that's because we write software. We know what we're kind of doing and, you know, we're, we would have a laptop with the correct tool in Visual Studio or VS Code or the Arduino software on board, and we'd be able to edit that array and upload it because we'd have the correct cables and we'd know what we're doing, how to plug it into a port and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you wouldn't expect a parent to be able to do that. You wouldn't expect yeah. a child to be able to do that. And one of my my, my hopes and dreams of this project, now I've gotten to the point where actually Caden's using it daily, is I'd like to put all the parts into a box and being an airline pilot, take that box to some part of the world where they don't have a national health service and show local technicians, doctors, nurses, uh, and prosthetic uh, doctors how to build their own, how to 3D print the parts and build their own, and then pop back every now and again and allow them to do it locally. Now, they're not going to be software engineers, a doctor at a hospital, wherever it is in the world. Um, they may not even have you know, a laptop that's powerful enough to run you know, well, Visual Studio Code would be you know, if you can run that on anything these days, but you, you, you kind of see where I'm coming from. So yeah. one of the things I realized was actually, you know what? I write a lot of mobile apps. How about if we move the setup and the control and um, the, the grip sequences into a mobile app? So I wrote a Xamarin app that connects to the Adafruit board inside the hand over Bluetooth. And it then allows um, Caden to control the order of the grips. So which order he wants them to be in. Um, mm-hmm. which grip is in the grip sequence. Um, so he can delete grips in the grip sequence. So if he's at school, he might only want two grips. If he's at home, he might only want, you know, he might want all five. Um, and we've also made a way for him to create his own grips, um, which is still a work in progress. But the idea is that he's created, you know, with some help from myself, uh, a grip that allows him to hold his Xbox uh, controller. And um, we've moved um, the uh, index finger and he twitches backwards and forwards very, very quickly. But that's his trigger mm-hmm. finger now for when he's playing his Xbox. So, and he's, we've done that using the mobile app. And, you know, it's, it's allowed him to get control. As he's grown used to using these muscles that he's never used since birth uh, in his left forearm, they've grown in, in strength. You know, you use a muscle, it grows uh, and, and gets stronger, which means yeah. that all the gain levels that we originally set as hard-coded values in the software um, were all off. So I was having to every few weeks go in and change these high quality values. It's like, well, this is silly. So again, we've moved those into the mobile app. And NDC London this year, um, back in January, uh, I bumped into um, some people that were giving talks about machine learning. And they come and see my talk and they said, you know what, it, you know, you could get machine learning to do this. So, you know, that's on the to do list. That's a good idea. Um, yeah. You know, your machine learning to say, well, actually, we're starting to hit, we're starting to clip the values. Just like you look at, a, you know, I'm looking at Zencaster and seeing my speech kind of going up and down. If I mm-hmm. talk really loudly, it will start to clip the, the volume off the top of the, the speech. Well, right. if the sensors are doing that, then then dial the values back. And, and, and so actually, we now want, instead of it happening every 400 milliseconds, wouldn't it happen every 500 milliseconds or every 300 milliseconds? Change those values and the gain levels. Mm-hmm. 
and machine learning apparently i'm not a, an expert but apparently that's a fairly simple model to build i wouldn't even know where to start um but <laughs> these people have got in touch with me after the meet after the um the conference and the idea was we was going to get together at some point and uh, and work this through but obviously the world has changed over the last few months so it's something that's uh, that we're going to look to do later this year is get together and resolve uh, this issue as well and put it into the mobile app so everything i've done all the 3d printing buying all the, the motors which are the most expensive part they're 84 dollars each the little springs the nuts the bolts the screws everything you need to build the arm including the battery and electronics is just over 500 pounds so you know it, it's come down from the you know, four and a half, five, six thousand pounds that NHS used to give Caden and other children a fairly rudimentary claw that's mechanically actuated. Um, you know, the hundreds, you know, the hundred thousand um, pounds for a, a professionally made, you know, prosthetic um, electromechanical arm. Um, you've got open bionics with their um, their hero arm, which is you know to the lower end, but slightly more expensive than the NHS. But this mm-hmm. design is is you know five hundred pounds for all the components. I can build one. I've built quite a few of them now. I can build one. Um, it takes about four days to 3D print all the parts. But after that, I can build one in less than a day now. Um, but I've built quite a few. But if you imagine, if I've learned how to build one in less than a day, you know, a hospital unit somewhere around the world could learn to do it as well in less than a day. And, you know, it's not, none of it is difficult. A lot of the soldering is is fairly simple now because I've, I've changed components out um, so to make the, the build sequence a lot easier as well and then once they yeah. built it all they need to do is load the software on the very first time and then everything after that is controlled from the mobile app so all the settings whether it's a left hand or a right hand what the gain levels are on the muscle sensors all that is controlled within the mobile app so yeah it's it's been a really really fun project and yeah it's it's my side gig that you know i i'm i can talk about it for hours because i'm really passionate about it yeah um, but yeah that, that's such such a cool idea and so, so inspiring um, but all the designs for the, uh, the 3D models, the um, electronics, the software, the versions of the software where I've taken open bionics designs and, and rehashed them to fit the Adafruit boards, um, mm-hmm. the Xamarin mobile app, even I'm pushing some of the muscle data up to, to Azure uh, and you know the, um, the Azure function uh, that runs in Azure that receives that data and stores it. All that is open source on my GitHub. Um, so if you go to you know GitHub slash uh, cliff ages slash handy you'll find all the files and you know you can put it in the show notes but it's all there you know dive in help out you know build your own hand for for someone you or just to sit on your bench and wave at you when you come into your office you know wherever it is you want to do with it but it's all there to you know and if you've got ideas i'm on twitter reach out and and suggest them had some real interesting and wacky ideas but you know we'll we'll, we'll tinker and play with them as we go that's really cool. I, I'll make sure to put the link to that in the show notes. And I, I see you're also using your 3D printer to print face masks recently. I have, yes. Um, obviously, with all the uh, the COVID um, stuff that's been going on, uh, the kind of the medical uh, doctors and nurses, not just in the UK but all over the world, have all needed yeah. face masks and face, you know, gloves and everything else. The uh, 3D printer I have is a, as a Perusa printer. It's uh, made uh, in the Czech Republic, and they they uh, come up with a design for the uh, Czech medical services that um, was approved um, locally there. And then they, you know, being the, the company that allowed that open source design. So if you go to to the Perusa website, 
and mm -hmm. you can download the RC3, which is the uh, release candidate three um, design. And that is the one that's now been approved for use by the NHS. It's been used in the US, been used in Germany, France, Italy, um, you know, all over the world. Um, this design is being used. And I've been printing them at home. My poor 3D printer hasn't stopped for about five weeks. Um, I've made over, over 260 of them. Uh, I've been printed, made and distributed to, to local medical services. Yeah. And there's, uh, in the UK, there's a, um, a group called the 3dcrowd.co.uk. And we've, um, as a group of over 700 individuals around the UK, made over 100,000 3D printed masks, which we distribute to the NHS. Now, you know, as an airline pilot, uh, uh, three or four weeks ago, I flew down to um, to Shanghai on a, a cargo service um, to pick up uh, medical mm -hmm. supplies. Uh, and we picked up tons and tons and tons of, of medical supplies. But, you know, you think about how many tons of, of weight uh, a face mask is that had to be flown all the way back across the world from Shanghai all the way back to the UK and to then be distributed out to um, the medical services, um, you know, whereas they can be made locally with a 3D printer. Um, you know, you save all the emissions, you save the flight, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing myself out of the day job of flying planes around the world, but you can see mm -hmm. that actually, um, you know, a 3D printer, they're fairly inexpensive now. I mean, the Prusa one that I've got, um, they're 600 pounds now, um, you know, so they're not that expensive, um, you know, and you can turn these things out and make, you know, you could go onto the internet and, you know, download a, a control dial for your cooker or, you know, a, a toy for your kid, you know, and just click print. And a couple of hours later, you've got a part sitting in front of you that actually is, you know, you know, useful, um, you know, Caden's arm or, you know, yeah. a, a box for your IoT project, you know, whatever it is you want, um, you could you could build and make. Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. Um, oh. I'm, I'm envious that you, you have uh, these these projects, and and it's really, uh, and the time to do them. So um, just just keep doing what you're doing. That really sounds yeah, sounds I, wonderful. I, yeah, I think the, the the time bit comes about the fact that I don't have to stress about where my next project comes from. So I yeah. work on a project for mm -hmm. a client, and because the day job is flying planes, and I get paid to fly planes. If I don't have a project um, for a, a few weeks, a month, two months, I can then work on projects like, you know, Caden's arm or, mm -hmm. you know, um, flight simulators or, or whatever it is that, you know, interests me. And, and or I'll go and learn, you know, do a Pluralsight course and learn something new. Um, that is, you know, and then I'll get another client project come through the door and I'll, you know, put those projects to one side and work solely on the client project, you know, and the advantage is that I get to fly around the world. I was awake here in, in Dallas at 4 a.m., kind of local yeah. time here in Dallas this morning. I had some breakfast and um, and a cup of coffee, um, and then I sat with my laptop open, and I had no interruptions for, for five, six hours until the sun come up locally. And, you know, so I could sit and just, you know, churn code out and work on a project for a client this morning without, you know, having to worry about, you know, kids running around or the phone ringing or, or whatever, you know, the normal distractions that happen if you're yeah. in an office or at home. Um, so yeah, you know, it means that I can kind of work on projects and be engrossed in them. And especially now there's really nowhere to go for you, right? No, no, I'm stuck, you know, stuck in a hotel. Um, yeah, can't do much. Um, yeah. So yeah, can't even go sightseeing. But yeah, you know, when, when you've been to somewhere like Dallas and it's your you know, umpteenth time you've been there, um, you know, you, you've seen the sites and done the things. Um, so mm -hmm. you, know, you can concentrate on doing things for, for clients and you know, earn a bit of money doing that and then you can put it back into the fun projects. 
Really cool. So th thank you for, for being my guest and, and telling me these, these wonderful stories. No, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, really, really inspiring. And if, um, if anyone wants to help out with the, uh, the projects, um, then obviously head over to the, the GitHubs and, uh, and, and look it up and, uh, and help out. Yep. Okay. All right. It's all in the show notes then. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks again. And this has been another episode of Dev Talk. We'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye bye.